Camera speeds. A mark. You're listening to Focus Pullers at Work. I'm your host, Megan Commons. Today we're chatting with First AC Brian Acklemeyer from Houston, Texas, talking about his inspirations, his background, and lots of set stories. So let's jump right in. Howdy. Let's start where all good stories begin with how you got started. How'd you get into this crazy industry? So I got started uh, probably like a lot of other young kids out there, uh, watching The Lord of the Rings or watching any type of movie. Um, the behind the scenes and the uh, just how in-depth the original, um, was it the expanded editions were, uh, it just kind of opened up, you know, a world of that you've never really seen by being able to see like what goes on behind a movie set or behind the camera in that aspect. And when you start start seeing all the medieval sword play, and then you're like, well, how does that all? Like, people get to play dress up and stuff like that. That's dope. I'm like, I want to be a part of that. Trying to figure out like how do you get involved in that and stuff like that. Like that all kind of circled me into. Uh, wanting to get involved with it and then you know it progressed into this um, how do you make money out of it and you know you kind of progress through and you find like oh I'm gonna try to go to school so I can meet people and then you know, I just kind of progressed from there uh, but yeah I, I think the actual like Lord of the Rings <laughs> uh, had a big aspect when it came out because I was also in the middle of like graduating from high school and you know starting to figure out what was going to happen from there and that was the one thing that you were you were able to like to click on to and kind of run with i love that you owe this to lord of the rings because honestly if i had to pick the movie that inspired me lord of the rings is just it's the epicness of it and like you said knowing the seeing the sword play and wondering how they did it and watching the behind the scenes oh my gosh like man after my own heart lord of the rings is so good Viggo Morganson. <laughs> oh, honestly, we all had a, no matter who you were, we all had a crush on him, let's be honest. So you did go to school for this, but did you do any other jobs before pursuing film? Like even just like a, a line cook at a restaurant that you have found in a way like still impact impacted even being in this, in this industry? So I went to community college, um, local Houston Community College, uh, to get that, that step forward. Um, but before that, uh, I started working at a, a local movie theater by my house uh, when I was 15. And I worked the concession stand. I worked my way, you know, to, as an usher and then all the way up to uh, being a projectionist. And uh, it was one of the uh, theaters that you actually got to work with uh, 17, um, basically, uh, screens that are 35 millimeter. So I got my... Uh, first hands-on at about, I think, 17, um, threading uh, 35 millimeter projectors, you know, across multiple screens. Um, sometimes multiple movies um, happening on different uh, screens and stuff like that. And, you know, everything that would happen from, um, you know, a movie falling off to the platter and having to sit there and figure out how not to scratch 35 millimeter by putting the, the whole entire film back together and stuff like that. So even, like, I was able to disassemble uh, parts out of a whole entire projector and and basically take it out of another projector and reassemble it and stuff like that and that's you know before I'm 20 uh, so I did that and then I was able to get a job working the cage at the community center or community college um, involved in film and then it, after that it just kind of I was a I was an AC after that it's just two, uh, I only had really like two jobs before I started ACing, which I think is really lucky um, for me, uh, you know, because everybody has you know, multiple jobs sometimes. <laughs> um, but it, everything I've done has been related to, I guess, film work and I guess my end goal in this. And I've always thought that that was interesting. <laughs> So at a young age, did you know you, you wanted to go into film since because of watching Lord of the Rings and stuff? Or did going into like working at the movie theater kind of help push that along? 
going um, to the movie theater, I think, helped push it on. Um, the movie theater was around five minutes from my house, um, so it was more of a convenience and a easy to get through, and you know, all the uh, kids in high school were kind of doing it kind of thing, so I was kind of going with the crowd, in a sense, and I had friends that were working uh, there already, so I had that you know, push to get in there. Um, but being at the movie theater and being able to just to go and watch a movie on my off day when I wanted to, or, you know, um, watch a movie while I was working, honestly, as an usher, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it just kind of helped play on that, being able to be up to date on what movies are out and, you know, just be in engaged in that aspect of, you know, cinematography and stuff. I think that's amazing. I mean, I can remember thinking be working in a movie theater would have been the coolest job in high school. Is that or working at the Hot Topic, you know? Those are every kid's dream. I was either I was either one or the other one of those. Do you have any like people who were like your biggest inspirations when you were getting into this? Um so a guy named Larry McKee who passed away from COVID last year uh was my biggest uh inspiration to get started. Uh he was the one after community college, uh, he kind of got paired with some students from the community college after we had did a feature film with them. And then those guys kind of came back and wanted to do another one. And he ended up being the DP on that project. And I, by association, uh, got kind of tagged along from it. And then I ended up being a grip on that film. Through that experience, I was able to work with this guy and watch from afar, him work with his AC, and then just every day sit and sit there and just be like, you know what, I have FOMO. I want to be doing what that guy's doing. Like, how do I get that? And so, you know, all this time working on the that film went by, and there was just one day where the AC couldn't show up, and I was like, you know what, I want to try. And he gave me that first experience to, you know, build the camera by myself. It was a red one. So I got to build it up, work it for the day, and then put it back together, uh, put it, you know, pack it back up. And that's kind of where everything just kind of exploded from there. And uh, he worked with that other AC for a few more projects. But after that, I just kind of nudged my way in there. And I was his uh, focus puller for, you know, years after that. And it helped me because I was able to get on a lot of short films and smaller projects and I was able to make a lot of mistakes on those uh, projects in a in a sense that would help me learn what not to do or what to do in these situations and how to handle them. And that's what I tell a lot of people now. It's like you need to find these situations where you can go and make these mistakes because those are the those are the ways that you're gonna be you know a better technician, a better focus puller uh, from because once you step onto you know, a union shoot, you know, a high dollar commercial or anything like that, you know, those mistakes are going to cost production a lot more money than a short film will. So I, I feel like he gave me the opportunity to, or he paved the way for me basically to uh, progress forward and I'll continue remembering his name um, from here on out. I'm really sorry for your loss. Um... He sounds like he was a really wonderful guy. He was, and I'm, I'm going to miss him. Well, you're carrying on his legacy in an incredible way by being you. He gave me a follow focus, and I had passed it on to a, another uh, green AC uh, so he can kind of learn, you know, the whole aspect of it. And when he passed, I had to do a lot to get that back. I was like, no, I'm going to, that's mine. Like I need that. What uh, what follow focus was it? It was a first generation, like uh, I would say, more of a demo version of the uh, original Red Rock um, follow focus. It's a f on uh, fifteen millimeter rods. Um, it's really really basic looking, but eh, it worked. And when I was young, growing up, it was a unit that I used on my uh, DSLRs. It's one of those like you know what I'm gonna need that. I'm gonna. Maybe one day I'll put it in a little acrylic uh, tube or something like that. That was the OG follow focus. I think that would be beautiful to put it in a little, like, yeah, acrylic box. I think it's important to remember and, and, and pass that along, and I'm glad you were able to, to get that memento back. Um, but like you said, it's it's so important to be to find those sets, like short films or college projects or 
you know, productions that you can really get your feet dirty without the potential of costing productions. It's so important. I mean, you're going to cost those productions, you know, with these, the same mess ups or the same, you know, mistakes. But at the end of the day, there's, you know, it's the money that's riding on these and then the people who are attached to them. I mean, of course, you're on short films and stuff like that. You're going to find what I call screamers um, where you get in trouble for every mistake that you do. But in a long uh, scheme of things, like, uh, do you really want to work with someone who's going to scream all the time? Or do you want to progress your, your career, make the mistakes, understand the mistakes and grow from them and work towards larger projects? It's just kind of one of those, you know, you kind of pick and choose. Sure, this person, you know, gave you your start in a sense, but if they're not treating you right, do you want to stay with them? <laughs> and I'm not saying, yeah, I'm, not, I'm saying that generally. I'm not saying Larry or anybody has ever done that. <laughs> well, in in that sense, do you have any um, any second stories that are, you know, second AC, either second ACs under you or any interesting moments where you were a second AC and you're like, oh no, I did not do that right. So after developing and working with Larry for a while, we did this feature and uh, I got hired on as a second and he didn't get to choose his first. So he, production chose the first for him and I got to come on as a second. And because of that, there was this interesting vibe within the camera department where he wanted me to do the first job. <laughs> and there was this other guy that I had to respect that was doing the job that he wanted me to do. So there was this little dynamic where sometimes he would ask me to do something that the first uh, should have been doing or something like that. And it was uh, an interesting time trying to not overstep my boundaries, but also, you know, this is the guy that I work exclusively with. Like, I want to do what I can to help him, given we're all in indie uh, land, um, and I wasn't really attuned to how the union worked uh, too much. So the whole film, we were kind of like uh, butting heads a little bit where, you know, it's like, hey, you want the camera to going? And the first wouldn't get the camera going, so I'd go in there and do a couple things. And then the first would get mad because, you know, that's what he should have been doing. And it's like, you know, I, I can't win in this situation. Uh, so, you know, I kind of had to pick and choose some battles. But in the end of the day, um, you know, we got the job done. Um, that job in particular had a lot of uh, stories and a lot of uh, learning experiences. At the end of the day, as long as you get the job done, I guess nothing else really matters, you know. Well, safety, safety is always going to be paramount, and that's one of the projects where I learned a lot about uh, that on. Production took the precautions to shut down um, a little highway segment out in uh, uh, about Liberty City in uh, Texas, and um, we had 300 feet of cones. We had cops on both sides of the highway, and just one of those moments where a drunk driver just decides to run through the set and uh, cop the audio guy between um, our pitcher car, the hostess tray, and his car. And then, uh, yeah, we had to have life flight and everything uh, come in. And uh, I was scared for a few days that I would uh, not see my buddy again. And um, it, it took a little while, uh, but he was able to walk and he's doing, uh, he's a sound mixer still. Um, but the drunk driver, it was his third offense and he was able to get off on a uh, bail. Thanks, Texas law. <laughs> and yeah, it's just one of those moments where you're there, you're looking, you look away and you look back and there's people on the ground and you're struggling to figure out how to hold yourself in and then as well as get them the help that they need and keep everything together. <laughs> it was a little bit before the Sarah Jones, uh, incident. And so when the Sarah Jones incident hit, it kind of hit really hard because we had just gone through that. Uh, nobody died, but people were banged up and mangled. Yeah, so you don't make the news, unfortunately. Like, there's no, you know, learning experience, but... No, and then... Oh, my gosh. And you found out, like, about the film community and, and around you because it's the film community that is the one that's hurt by it, not anybody else. And so you have to come together and find support for these people who ha now are out of work, uh, have all these medical bills because, you know, insurance is either going to help or not. And, you know, production can only do so much to help. Um, it's one of my most interesting 
parts of my career because we were set up to uh, be on a hostess tray, as I had said, and it was a colder night and any other time I would have been there right by the hostess tray with the camera ready to slide on. And for whatever reason, I was, you know what, I'm going to go wait in the van. And so I walked and sat in the van and um, some time had passed by. I went and I checked out on the, uh, checked on them to see if they wanted the camera. And they're like, no, you got a few more minutes. And I was like, cool. So I went and sat down. And the next thing you know, you hear the impact and all the shrapnel hitting the van and stuff like that. And get out and you just, everything's different. Not one of my uh, favorite moments, but one of those that, you know, sits so hard in the back of your mind when you see a car just blowing through set and stuff like that. You're like, you know what? This has happened to me before, and there's a lot of things that I don't want to relive. <laughs> I appreciate you telling the story because it's something that, you know, it's it's horribly scary, but it's worth, con- you know, always and forever remembering safe sets. And sounds like your production did try. I mean, they had a lot of the precautions, but, a, you know, standing in the way of a drunk driver, what can you do, you know? Yeah, I mean, we were in the, uh, you know, the safety lane. They blocked off the first lane, and so they had traffic using the second lane, and that still wasn't enough. <laughs> so. Wow. Well, I'm really glad everyone was okay. Yeah, uh, me as well. I learned, like I said, I learned a lot from that set and the way that directors can be full of themselves, even when in the sight of a disaster. <laughs> and uh, so I take that, and I, now I know a lot, and. I've learned from that. Well, just continuing down different memory lanes, that was the scariest job you've ever worked on. What would be the hardest job you've ever worked on? One of the hardest jobs uh, I have had to do was actually harder because of the physical impact that was going around me versus the actual job itself. I uh, I was doing a car uh car commercial on the Circuit de Americas track in Austin. And uh, it's really uh, windy, I should say. <laughs> and these guys like to put a what they call like a shaker on these uh, remote heads when you're in an arm car. So you're doing these high impact and, and high, f- or high speed moves at these cars and then slamming on the brakes and then pulling back and stuff like that. So... Let's just say I found my lunch on that shoot, and it made it very difficult to continue shooting, so I had to pull my second uh, in to continue the day for me. Um, and yeah, uh, it's car and arm car work is something that's really cool, really thrilling, and fun to be in in those situations, but at the same time, there is a physical aspect that goes into it as well, the motion sickness and uh, stuff like that. Um, You start learning a lot more about yourself uh, in those situations and how much your body can actually handle when you're thrown into the forces, you know, uh, of the car, making these uh, high-speed turns and stuff like that to get the shots. Um, So... I I learned a few things, uh, you know, uh, wearing a mask while it's really hot, there's no air circulation because all the power is being put into the the vehicle versus um, keeping uh, us comfortable inside the vehicles. Uh, There's, you know, there's a few things that go into those and I learned a lot. (laughs) Uh, I can imagine. So this was during COVID then? This is during COVID. This was last year. Um... I, I did one side of the commercial where I was sitting up front in the passenger seat and then another uh, another one where I was sitting in the uh, the back of the vehicle and uh, so the back of the vehicle facing uh, like the the real the rear wheels and um, there's a difference in how you sit when a vehicle's moving and you know looking at the monitor and stuff like that yeah. So I learned a lot on that one. Uh, learned that taking Dramamine, um, when you get the set, is already uh, too late. You need to take it before you leave set. Uh, so, you know, like I said, learning about your body while being in a, 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 a Ukrainian arm. And um, 
hitting uh, really windy uh, tracks at high speed. So. Oh my gosh, yeah. I haven't done that crazy stuff, but even just like, you know, doing like helicopter stuff where you're looking at a screen and, the, you know, you just have to like almost disassociate to allow yourself to not not know where your equilibrium is because otherwise if you start thinking about it it's like oh you know the worst i should say the worst situation of motion sickness i've been in is shooting a research vessel out three miles into the gulf of mexico with a movie and a smaller vessel and then that vessel basically creating a lot of waves for your smaller vessel and then getting motion sickness out there. Because, number one, your motion sickness looking through the monitor at the other thing, but at the same time, the boat's constantly moving. So even when you're not pulling focus, you're still sick. So there's been another instance where, uh, not in a car, just out, being out in the ocean, where I've had to learn that, yeah, look, boat the boat on a movie is uh, really scary nowadays. <laughs> Just so, just because, like, can you make it through the uh, the shoot with you know holding your lunch in, and you know it, it's something that you don't think about when as a focus puller, it's like, do I have to do I have to worry about being able to make it through the day, you know, me feeling all right versus just being able to do the technical aspect of it. No, that's a good point. Honestly, like, I keep things in my kits like Dayquil and and uh, Tums and just some other things. Like, I have like a small first aid kit. Not just like band-aids, but other things that are literally like if I my stomach starts feeling bad, I need to still like you said, you still have to do your job no matter how you feel. Tylenol Advil, keeping all that in your kit is comes in handy. You know, either it saves you or a crew member when they start going down. Yep. You need a as a first, um, it's good to provide for, you know, your department if you need to. Or if there's a medic on set, you know, calling them in and just kinda but you you know, you don't know what the situation you're gonna be in. So you have to prepare for everything. I, I keep um, uh, thumb wraps, knee braces, all kinds of, you know, that those aspects uh, in uh, my backpack. I keep Advil. I keep all kinds of, you know, rain gear, all this stuff. And my backpack ends up looking like a turtle shell. But at the same time, it's like, you know, when I need it, it's there. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Thumb wrap. That's a good idea. Oh, and shower caps. That's the other thing I keep in my kit. I learned that a couple years ago and now I have 150 shower caps I bought off Amazon for like $5 and I put those on everything. I need to do that because buying these $15 caplets and getting three out of them is starting to toll on me. <laughs> yeah, a, um, a dolly grip taught me that because that's what he covers his personal monitor with is a shower cap. And I was like, that's freaking brilliant. Well, I think this takes us into a good point to ask the question any fun weather memories any fun weather memories um so here lately here lately we've had a lot of weird weather i would say uh from freezes to flooding you know houston being this close to the gulf the south coast as people call it uh it's just one of those areas where you can't really you know, put a finger on this is what the weather's going to be like today. Last February, we had one of the, the hardest freezes um, that have hit us in a long time. A lot of people, you know, lost power and stuff like that. Uh, but for the freelancers, we had to, you know, film up until that one point where it's like, all right, I think now is, you know, it, it, it's not safe for the rest of the, you know, the, the city, but, you know, film workers can still make it to set. Like, let's, let's push them as long as possible. You know, that's our job, we're freelancers. Yay. Um, and the temperature was starting to drop, and it was an arm car day, actually. And uh, they had to create a, um, a set using the ship channel um, by us. And it's one of those where, it, you know, it's starting to drizzle. It just starts drizzling all day, and... And they end up um, cutting uh, half of the day because uh, it's just too wet, it's getting too cold, and these people who've flown into Houston still have to get back home. So it's one of those where it's like, it's nice because our day was cut short. Uh, we know we're going to have to have a pickup day, uh, but everybody still has to be safe and get on their flights, get back home, or get to the sheltering place of you know their choice 
Uh, some people may, I think, had to go to Dallas, which was right into the line of fire at that point. So, you know, it's just one of those situations where, all right, cool, we, we shut down for uh, snow. And then on the other side of it, a couple of weeks later, we can shut down for rain because how much rain is it going to be? Is it going to flood again? You know, does, does everybody have a vehicle that's above the flood uh, gauges? Like, it, it's, it's crazy right now. Um, a couple... Weeks ago, there was a tornado in a, not a major city, but a, I think Elgin uh, in Texas. Um, and that's a, a larger populated uh, area versus, you know, kind of out in the country where we kind of think that tornadoes and stuff like that happen uh, uh, frequently. You know, Kansas, say Dorothy. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's been really windy here the past uh, month, I would say, compared to the last month. And I'm curious on how much more tornadoes we might see inside uh, a large city um, or any wind damage. So I don't know. It's just one of those moments where we're at a interesting time in our uh, weather. And uh, it's going to produce more crazy weather stories, I believe. <laughs> yeah, it's only a matter of time till we get even more and more and it's not necessarily an exciting thing. I know when we're, when we have productions out here and we have lots, cause you know, Kansas city, we're kind of known for being a little windy with tornadoes during tornado season. And we will have out of town productions come through. And I just tell the, the out of towners, like, just keep an eye on the locals. If the locals start freaking out, then you should start freaking out. Yeah. But um, most of the locals are just like, yeah, the sky's not green yet. You know, we're fine. It's just blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, see you over, you know. And really, it's true. I mean, we've even seen just a little bit of rotation. We had to shelter inside a, a stadium close by. But just a little rotation. But even the locals were just like, yeah, that's not going to fully form. We're fine, you know. <laughs> like, why are y'all freaking out, you know. We uh, I did a feature last year uh, out in New Mexico, um, and our location ended up being like in this basin where the mountains were a little bit higher. So it would, it would formulate some systems over here and over here, but the weather just wouldn't make it into this little circle that we were in, um, very often. But, um, so, and it was a monsoon season. So every day we would get like a lot of weather patterns, not necessarily rain, but a lot of wind or a lot of, you know, something uh, of the sorts. And um, it it's funny because, you know, you spend four weeks out there basically. Uh, and in this time we've had, we had um, two uh, first ADs. So we did, you know, the first, I think, two and a half weeks with the first, uh, with the first first AD. And then um, he ended up having to leave. And then the second one came on, who um, was actually, his name is Dave Halls, as you might uh, understand who that is. Um, and he uh, wasn't a part of, the, you know, the location scouts and stuff like that. So he didn't really, in my opinion, understand the weather we were looking at out there and he, uh, we ran into this one moment where we all were all looking up a little bit after lunch because every day around three o'clock, the same thing would happen. And the weather kind of made its way into the basin uh, of where we were shooting. And we were like, you know what? This isn't going to be good, guys. Uh, we're in a ranch. There's nothing but dirt around us. Um, if, it, if it, you know, pours, we're going to be slogging uh, camera carts and stuff like that through mud to get them on the, cam uh, the camera trucks and stuff. And so they're, um, they wanted us to already pack up into the truck and move farther into the ranch down a dirt road uh, closer to this, like, little canyon thing. And we started... Looking at it, and we're like, you know what, Dave? Like, this isn't going to be a, uh, a good thing for us. Like, I know we need to make our day. And he just kind of cut us off, like, stop looking at the fucking clouds and get on the truck so we can get this going. And then, so we're like, you know what? All right, Dave. So we put the stuff on the, the truck, and we move the truck a little bit forward. And next thing you know, the sky just lets out. And we're like, you know what, Dave? We're just going to sit here. <laughs> and... Um, lightnings, you know, going down, hitting all around us. So we're just like, we're already not putting up stands or anything like that. And we're basically shut down. And then the sky let out and they ended up shutting the, the rest of the day down. <laughs> and it was just one of those moments where it's like, it's, 
it's the weather. And luckily we were there for a, um, a short instance before, uh, you know, a few weeks before and to understand the weather patterns. Um, but you know, even the locals were like, yeah, good luck guys. Nobody shoots during monsoon season here in New Mexico. And we learned why. <laughs> productions are like we got this place for a deal mm -hmm. yeah you're like yeah no duh here's why yeah um well what for those who aren't familiar dave hollis is the was the ad on rust um so how is how is working with him that's wild i mean obviously this was er way earlier but it, it was a couple months earlier and it was just one of those situations where he, like I was on my honeymoon uh, in Hawaii at the time when all this went down, and you look at the, you start, you know, looking at the news in the morning, and you're like, wait, what? And then you look at the call sheet, and you're like, wait, what? Like I worked with this guy, like, what? <laughs> and then you start, you know, texting like the DP and your camera operator, and you're like, dude, like, what happened? <laughs> like. I've had a, an, I had an AD walk off a production once because they weren't being safe. Uh, long story short, we were shooting in the Appalachian Mountains up on like a really rocky formation. And it was like, we had celebrity actors there and whatnot. And for some reason, the director was determined that this steady cam like circle shot, like where it's supposed to be them up on the pinnacle of this like, you know, rocky formation. And it was just a steady cam shot rotating around them, but for some reason he was determined it had to be right at the ledge. So the poor steady cam op was actually stepping like just, I mean, very, 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 very close to the edge. And, you know, everyone was like, just push them back towards the center of the formation. Like there's, the camera can't tell that they're where they are because we had drone shots we were supposed to do later. And the director was, no, 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 no. It doesn't get the feel or whatever. And that was the final straw. I was just day playing on the production, but that was the final straw where the AD was just like, I'm done. I can't watch a, an operator die. Like, I'm out and walked. We still did the shot. Like, it was not safe, um, but it, the, it was up to the operator. He was the one who was the last one to veto, and he was just like, he was kind of green, so he just was worried. Just to, He just wanted to do it, you know, and make everyone happy. And we did it, and everyone was fine, but it still was just one of those, like, there was no, you know, it was the, even the producers were pushing like we just you know yeah 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 just have do it the director's way and everyone was like why, why does it have to be this way so anyway um yeah safe safe practice safe sets so important um well continuing as we keep walking down i've got a few more a few more memories before i know we will wrap this up here in a little bit but i'm just enjoying you have so many good stories and i'm just so enjoying listening to them do you have any particularly fun let's go back to more fun fun topics since we've been hitting on so many you know <laughs> some hardcore memories you make me cry a yeah little bit. <laughs> like what are some of your uh fun let's do a fun build what's the, like one of the most in fun funnest most fun builds you've done fun build um so i've done uh, a music video where i was actually uh operating joystick um on and we started it down um into the street and worked our way all the way to this point and we're able to um basically connect the Moby onto this uh, custom grip rig and then take it up to a different uh, floor, basically. And then, because uh, we were looking basically this way down and then we had to bring it all the way up and then come in through a door frame, being out of frame, and then continue the, uh, the shot from there. Uh, that one was a real fun one, mainly because I, I don't operate Unusually, uh, if I do, it will be in an instance where it's on a joystick or something like that because, you know, video games, love it. <laughs> uh, and that's where I really get a, get the vibe of operating from. Um, so it was you know, my first video to, uh, to operate from, you know, start to finish in that aspect. Um, but I've been, you know, tweaking and doing a little bit of uh, that for years prior to uh, getting to that point. Uh, but that was a real fun one. Uh, DP, a local DP, Dan Moore, uh, did that one. Uh, and then another one I did with uh, Larry McGee uh, early on, and we basically had to do a Danny Dolly um, off, I think we were like 12 stories up, but we had to do a Dana Dolly because the actor walked up uh, to the balcony rail and kind of looked out, and the director wanted a shot basically to come in and around. Uh, so we Dana dollied off the balcony and then we're able to pivot the camera around. So it was basically 
looking at the actor straight on and he did something. I, I don't know if he jumped, he jumped off or whatever, but that one was a fun one because, <laughs> you know, you had the Dana dolly and then you had a grip arm to another grip arm and the DP would slide the camera out into free space and we were like, cool. Well, we can't do anything about that if it falls. What, um, what camera were you? What camera were you flying? A red Epic at the time. Uh, with Nikon glass, um, you know, it's the DP's personal package, so it meant a lot to him, but in the game, the big scheme of things, it's not super expensive. Uh, you know, Alexa with Hawk Anamorphics or something like that. But it was, you know, it was just one of those situations where it's like, right, fingers on the desk, like, let's get this shot, guys. Like, oh, you gotta go back for makeup? Can we do makeup here? <laughs> Oh my gosh. I've also noticed a trend that a lot of ACs are gamers or have some sort of gaming background. I've noticed that. Well, a lot of gaming is problem solving and it's wrong to compare focus pulling to gaming, but you know, it is like, it's like a Mario game, but you only want to, um, you only want to play it once. Uh, a lot of these shots, you, you know, the boss is getting through the boss the first time. And when you have to do it over again, you know, it, it changes the mechanics of the move change and stuff like that. So getting it the first time, you know, really becomes the strive to, all right, let's move on. Can I, can I get it? Can I get it? I, I, I gotta get it. You know, it's like your fix. <laughs> it, it's a weird thing to really compare it to. But, you know, when, when it's all sharp and you're able to move on, that's a really, you know, uh, it's a real high feeling in a sense. And you're like, cool. I did that. Uh, it's like uh, I've been doing a lot of docu-style pulling, uh, handheld, you know, no marks, just follow the action. And it's a lot of just letting your eyes see uh, the environment unfold uh, in front of you and just kind of letting the focus kind of tell the story at that aspect or that instance. And uh, I've been lucky enough to work with uh, DPs like Peter Simonite, who... Um, I've been able to learn from while doing these focus uh, transitions because like, you know, do you pull focus uh, when the head hits uh, the turn or do you pull focus as the head hits the turn in, in those aspects? And it's really cool to be able to practice, practice this, you know, live um, and get a sense of what he's looking for uh, versus what I'm looking for. And then, um, basically collaborating it rating together and getting this uh, piece that kind of flows fluid. Uh, we did a, Bell a Billie Eilish uh, live music video uh, where it was all steady cam and we just did wonders going all around her. And you have to take these moments where you're coming off of um, a close up on her and then having to transition to her brother who's uh, playing uh, piano and stuff like that. And you're just kind of feeling these moments out and um, trying to tell the story in an instance where not a, not a lot of it's out of focus, but enough of it is out of focus to in focus to basically uh, allow your eyes to not, uh, you know, jump to, a, jump to uh, the subject or just kind of flow with the subject. And so it's been real fun. I've had a lot of personal thoughts about uh, focus pulling now versus... Uh, earlier in my career and now it's becoming more important to understand your frame size uh, to subject ratios a lot more versus actually in my opinion looking at the distances itself because at what time during a docu are you able to actually watch the subject and be sharp on 140 millimeter anamorphic <laughs> so it, so when you start looking at the uh, the frame sizes uh, to to uh, your subject ratio, you're able to uh, start understanding how large your subject will be in the frame and what um, distance that is uh, throughout multiple lenses and, uh, and frames and subjects and kind of pull focus to that versus like, all right, they're five feet. All right, I'm at five feet. All right, four feet. All right, you can kind of gauge in a different aspect. But it's something I'm, I've been theorizing and uh, developing within my brain for years at this time just haven't been able to really talk about it much i haven't i hadn't you know hadn't heard it described in that way and i think that is a really i, I think that's a really cool way of describing it because like you i i i've i've mostly learned to pull from eye and pull from 
you know, yeah, just looking at the screen and no understanding how far something is, you know, just based on what you're seeing. And so I think that's a really cool way of explaining it is it's, you know, ratio of size to the, to the screen. That's really interesting. I hadn't heard it said like that. Well, I mean, okay, so you've worked with Billie Eilish. This kind of leads me into my next memory, which would be uh, any crazy celebrity stories. Um, Billie Eilish was fun. We did two videos for her. Um, no Time to Die just won an Oscar, I heard. Yay! <laughs> we did a live one for her. Um, I worked a Super Bowl in Houston a few years back, and I was able to be on the uh, field, you know, running on the sidelines and stuff like that with uh, my uh, operator from Fox. And one of those situations where you're just kind of running, hustling, and you're just like kind of looking around and, and someone catches your eye and uh, Mark, Wa Mark Wahlberg was standing on the 50-yard line at that point and I was just kind of like, that's, that's, that's Mark. Like, I know that guy. Like, I've been watching his movies. Like, that's cool. And, you know, you're like, I really want to go. Nope, nope. I gotta, gotta run to my operator. He's on the other side of the, <laughs> the football field uh, kind of situation. So, it, you know, it, you don't always get put into these situations where it's like a big-time actor or anything like that that you get to go and like, hey, you know. It's really cool. Like, I followed your work, you know, as a kid growing up. It's just one of those, like... But he was fun. Uh, I've, I've worked with uh, Morgan Freeman. Uh, he did a series um, uh, talking about uh, different churches and stuff like that, um, and different religions. I forget the name of it. Uh, but he came into Houston for a day, and we did... Uh, a little bit of walk and talk with him, uh, so that was kind of fun because I, Morgan Freeman has one of the the sexiest voices I'll ever uh, be able to say. <laughs> um, I've worked with uh, Freddy Krueger uh, earlier in my career. Uh, Robert England, uh, that one was fun. Um, yeah, it's. I'm gonna have to start sit here and start thinking about all the people. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean every. Everybody who's a celebrity that you know you get to work with, uh, they're real cool. Um, some of them can be divas, but at the end of the day, like I try not to put any emphasis on who these people are, because um, you know they're just like me and you. Uh, they're only human. Um, they're uh, they're a celebrity by the people around them uh, who put emphasis on uh, making them. And you know at this at the same time, you know they still need water. They still need food to get through the day, and you know. If I don't uh, put a lot of emphasis on, like, oh, it's this person, uh, just for them to be a dick to me, like, I'm cool. If I'm just, uh, I, I'll walk in metal, hell, uh, if I walk in mellow headed, uh, meet the people and they're cool, then I had no expectations for them to, uh, you know, put out or anything like that. So, yeah, every, everybody's their own person, I like to say. <laughs> it's easy to get starstruck, but it's so true. You have to just. You, you can't, as a, as a first AC, or as, you know, anyone in production, you can't let yourself get starstruck um, because you have to maintain a level of professionalism and they're not there on set to have people bombard them and ask for things. You know, you have to let them engage with you, uh, which is a hard thing to do because you're like, I want to talk to this person, but you have to be in that instance where, so how are you today? And you're like, I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I one time had Lee Merriweather, who is one of the original Catwomen. She was either in the TV series or the movie. I'm not sure which. But she, it was a movie where she was it, just a few, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. She corrected me on how to slate. I was, it was my first movie as a second. And she was like, I had my finger kind of covering some of the bottom information, like the MOS and the, you know, you know, daytime out, you know, nighttime, that, that kind of information. But she just was like, mm, flat palm keep your fingers dead out of the slate range. And I was just like, yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, yes, ma'am. Like, yes, ma'am. You're like, I love, I love you. Uh, yes, ma'am. She's like, what? You're like, no, yes, ma'am. Uh -huh. I'm like, oh gosh, how often can, yeah, you say Lee Merriweather told you how to do your job better. Hey, you know, you can add that to your resume. Oh my gosh, I should. I, okay, I'm going to go update that right, right when this is done. Um, well, do you have any, do you have any jobs you're really proud to be part of? So, we get tossed into uh, feel-good stories, I would say, sometimes, um, where, you know, you're, you're talking about, you know, autism, you're talking about, you know, uh, medical problems or something like that. And 
is one of those where you walk into the story not knowing anything, and then you walk out of the, out of the uh, the job knowing everything. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, these stories out there that you find with these doctors, with these you know patients when you're doing these um, hospital or medical type um, uh, commercials and stuff like that, um, where you just find yourself learning a lot. Um, I mean, everything from you know. Um, feel good stories just to the technical side of it you're put into these situations as freelancers and uh, filmmakers where uh, you have access where nobody in the real world would have access to and you're able to learn um intimately from these types of people um going through good situations and bad and same thing with companies going good situations and bad like uh, it's just i find that being in the situation that we get to be in just grants you so much access to information that um, just wouldn't be available to anybody and it's just something to kind of strive for and that's kind of one of the reasons I like doing this job because at, at what point do you get to go look at NASA and look at the new spaceship rockets and stuff like that and you know go home uh, and tell your you know your wife and kids about you know, the next Mars rover in an instance without actually being associated with NASA. So it's, you know, something to look forward to. No, I think that's one of the biggest perks. I've learned more about logging or uh, building telephone poles to the oil industry to corn to, you know, you just, corn. To, you know, to actually interesting things like, yeah, like you said, like NASA rockets. That's incredible. Now your wife Chloe, she's also in 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 the industry, right? She is. She is a a CQL a second AD. Um, that is the commercial qualifying list uh, for the DGA. Um, so she's one of the only few in uh, Houston right now that's actually qualified uh, in the DGA to handle commercials and stuff like that that comes through. Uh, there's a different qualification for the narrative side of things, uh, and it also costs more money, but you know, uh, being one of the few in the fourth largest city has a lot of, uh, um, there's not a lot of competition, we'll say. <laughs> Do you guys ever get to be on set together? Uh, we've, we're on set uh, last week and the week before last, actually, together. We got done doing two union commercials, and um, uh, they were SAG actors, so uh, they ended up being DGA um, uh, as well. And she's able to get the first call because of those. Um, before that, uh, we worked intermittently together uh, within like the first year. Like COVID's really thrown a wrench into us working together a lot. We used to work together a lot before we were uh, married, um, just you know jumping onto different uh, commercials. And she was paing um, uh, quite a bit more back then. So just because. You know, as a PA, you can get on more sets and you have more options available than when you start stepping up and specializing and stuff like that. So we were able to uh, work together more uh, when she wasn't as uh, bougie as she is now. <laughs> what are some of your favorite aspects of being an AC? Some of my favorite aspects of being an AC uh, include the problem solving, the creativeness, and then the politics of the department. Um, politics being um, the ability to work with any other department, department head or department personnel, uh, from a PA to the production manager and producer, uh, knowing how to tell or knowing who to tell when you know a lens is broken or a card is erased and how, how, how to um, have that conversation with someone who um, might be demeaning towards you and being able to be like, you know what, I just needed to tell you that this situation happened. Like, I know I'm not in a good situation to, you know, hear uh, a proper response, but at the same time, I've told you and I've done my due diligence to let you know uh, these errors or this is happening uh, and we'll uh, figure out ways to, you know, adjusted on our side. I had to do that on a, um, a project recently where someone else in my department uh, messed up pretty large and I basically had to go and be the fall guy and 
tell them what happened in a way that doesn't demean the person who actually did it because I still need to be able to work, you know, weeks if they're allowed that, that person to be on the set still uh, and stuff like that. And uh, also um, encourage the person who did mess up because they, um, they acknowledge that they messed up and uh, it cost us uh, a, a lot of money to fix it. But that person took it to heart and you have to find a way to help them get through the situation because you know, they're going to be a mess. Um, they, you have to be able to talk to a person and not, um, add to the fire because a lot of people, they break down and then they can't, you know, function correctly. And you still need that person to be able to function correctly. So the only thing that you could do is lift them up and, uh, to keep them going at that aspect versus, uh, breaking them down, letting them know that they messed up, even though they already messed up and to continue putting them down, you know, as the project keeps going. Um, as someone who's been through that situation, like, I don't, I don't want that on anybody. So I, what I do and what I've had, had to learn to do is to uh, talk to them, allow them to know that they did mess up, but at, a, at the end of the day, anything that we do is a learning experience. Everything is fixable. Uh, nobody got hurt in the in the instance that uh, uh, this uh, error, or I would say, uh, occurred. So, you know, there's there's still stuff to be happy about. Yeah, we can still go home. We still uh, completed our day. You know, you still got paid for your day and stuff like that. And you know, you can come back tomorrow. Giving production allows us to come back tomorrow, and uh, we can continue on. Uh, the politics of the first HC job I never thought would be so apparent as it has become. Um, you know, just stuff like when the DP says, give me the 50, but you have a 55, not a 50. Um, like knowing not to correct the DP in front of everybody that it's a 55, not a 50, versus just putting the 55 on and then whispering along the way. It's like, it's a 55. Because uh, number one, you know, they they need to know Number two, fit, grabbing the 50 is such a generic term. Um, it's easy to um, confuse this if, say, the lens set is different from one week to the next. You know, So it's just knowing when to speak, when to listen, and when to you know, let them know and at the end of the at appropriate time when something might need to be a little corrected. Um, the focus pulling aspect of it, is only what I find like 10% of the job at the end of the day, unless you're on a docu-series, <laughs> then it's all, <laughs> it's go time all the time. Um, focus pulling is more or less something you have to develop yourself uh, and finding ways for it to work to you versus the politics side. You have to learn to work with everybody. Uh, and, you know, that kind of defines um, your repetition or reputation and stuff like that. Uh, being able to anticipate when an actor is going to lean forward versus lean back or, uh, you know, put a hand over the uh, back of the, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, instances where you have to watch how people move and react. And that, I think, is more of a test in how often you, you pay attention while you're pulling focus and what you're doing before you actually get to the act of um, pulling focus. And then... The technical side of it is how much of the technology that you're using do you actually understand and are able to um, troubleshoot the IT side of things. Uh, did you try turning it off and on again? Uh, just knowing and going through all these instances where you're, you've been like, well, the Teradek isn't connecting. It's like, well, just switch it out. I was like, well, did you try, you know, switching the channels? Did you try doing all these other things? And a lot of it's learning as you go versus like, all right, I had an idea. Let's trust this one thing. And then it not working. I'm like, all right, get rid of it. It's like, well, how good, a, how good of a problem solver are you? And that's what I find that going into beta testing products and, and working with uh, manufacturers and stuff is this is the more that I learn what they're looking for, the more that I can understand in the field and troubleshoot knowing that I need to find my common variables and I need to find the variables that are different. 
uh, and work back uh, to find the actual problem and then you know go forward from there. It's like when the Mini LF came out and you plugged the SDI in for the first time and then all of a sudden you didn't have picture. It's like, well, why not? And it's like, well, you just fried the SDI port because you didn't plug power in first. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those that you don't know until someone tells you, but then you know as soon as you do it and you, you mess it up. <laughs> yeah, I think that ACing is like you said, it's 10% focus polling and 90% a gazillion other things leadership, having to take the fall for your team, you know, you're the representative of your team, you know, you're the IT guy, you're, you know, there's just so many aspects. I think you covered there. Yeah. ACing is an in-depth, thankless job. It's like when we start talking about it and I'm like, oh, look, there's all these things that all these little small stories that have come up and I'm like, yeah, this is why I have to do all this stuff. And this is why I talk about the politics in it. What advice do you have for ACs getting started? It's very intimidating. It's very difficult to pave your own way. But if you if you work on paving your own way, it's going to be more rewarding than to pave someone else's way for them. Um, you can watch other firsts and you can uh, say, you know, what they're doing is easy uh, and stuff like that. But once you actually start doing it like that's that becomes the real test um there can be a lot of reasons for you to give up uh, there's gonna be a lot of intimidating days um but having a network and having other acs to be able to talk and to um work through problems and stuff like that that you run up against like that's been the main uh main show of support that I've been able to find because um, a lot of the information that when when I started out compared to now like wasn't available like the black and blue was the only thing that uh, was available I mean Evan um, he doesn't work on the black and blue so much now because he's you know a full-time uh, union first in DC you know but black and blue was a uh, significant um, helpful uh, blog that I found that was geared towards ACs by another AC and when I was starting out I feel like Evan was doing the same type of work that I was doing and so it really felt like I was talking with another AC without talking with him by reading through his posts and reading through his experiences and stuff like that and then learning um, you know like the tag book and stuff like that things that helped him get through these situations with, in which I hadn't really run into yet. And then reading about them and knowing about them was, you know, it's, that's half the battle. Uh, and then experience them for yourself is the other half and, you know, what to do to get around that. Um, so I find uh, reading as much information as you can find, uh, listening to podcasts, uh, learning from other ACs, just learning, listening to stories. And it doesn't necessarily have to be ACs, but it's the crew around you and the crew that is within the city that you're working in. Because you're going to find stuff that um, other crew members have done that uh, blacklisted them, for example. Or um, things like uh, what they do for uh, tax season, uh, how they get around um, uh, acquiring new gear versus how um, how some people like to stay the same and just work off the same gear and stuff like that. And you're able to see, you know, how tax deductions can help build a career versus um, using the same thing. Like there's so much that you can learn from uh, just talking to the people who are doing what you want to do. And, you know, not everything is helpful, but you can pick and choose the, um, the aspects in which are. And that's the same thing for, uh, you know, ACing in general. It's like you, you learn by doing. And uh, when you can't do that, you learn by watching. And the more you're able to watch another assistant do what you want to do, you'll learn uh, from them the do's and don'ts of what works with, you know, your workflow, basically. And you can, you know, you can put the map box upside down like I do, or you can put it on straight like everybody else does. Like, it's your preference, and it 
it's what makes you a better technician is to find your own values and finding the own your own ways in which you know making this happen that doesn't uh, interrupt anybody else's workflow and kind of building from there. The black and blue was. Oh, will always be, I think, a legendary resource to a lot of us. I mean, when I f- was first starting out, it was, uh, I went on there and he had his, what I keep in my kit. And I, you know, at 17 years old and having no idea what I need to keep in my kit, literally just went through and ordered like everything down the line. Cause I had no idea what else I needed. So do you, okay. Last question. Do you want to, is your goal to stay in AC forever? So that's a hard question. Um, staying in AC forever definitely has its um, enticement because I'm already, you know, 12 year, years into this. I, I know the ins and outs of what my job requires and stuff like that. So if anything, I would step up to operating. Um, but even then, like, I'm not, like, there's so much less, in my opinion, that goes into operating that is technical, technician appropriate, I guess. Like as an operator, I mean, you'll work with gimbals, you'll work with Steadicam, you'll work with, you know, wheels and stuff like that, but you always have that person that sets that up for you. And for whatever reason, I I have found that for me, like I like the electronics, I like doing the things to get someone else to actually create the image. Like... Operating uh, and DPing and stepping out of uh, that realm uh, of a scene hasn't really played too much into my interests. Um, I, don't, I don't know really why. Because um, like, if you put a joystick in my hands, uh, like I'll operate a, a camera all day in that aspect. But putting a pan handle into my hand has a different feel uh, to me. Uh, I don't mind putting a camera on my shoulder because nine times out of ten, that's where the camera's, you know, sitting when I'm waiting for the operator to take it anyway. Um, So that's always been fun. And so there's, like, different aspects, I I should say, that I like about operating. Uh, I don't care for lighting. Um, That's always been one of my uh, slimmest uh, interests, uh, shaping the light and stuff like that. I like what people do uh, to make it happen and, uh, you know, I think that it's really great, but just for me to be like, yeah, throw the 18K, put a silk, let's put a book like, and uh, let's do all this stuff. Like, it's just, it seems like a, a lot more work than I really want to do. <laughs> uh, because as a technician, I feel like I can spend all day just doing technical things uh, in the camera department and get the same uh, joy uh, out of it as I guess the bees do. <laughs> Yeah, I just I haven't found anything that's really called me out. I do get jealous of um, the folks who get to to not work while I'm working, and that's been one of those situations where I've like, did I pick the right department who's gonna always be working for whatever reason? It, I don't know. It's it's nice because as an AC, you know, your day is always going, you're always on, uh, but at the same time, you're always on. There's never really a break. Good luck getting to the restroom and stuff like that. As an operator, you know, the day's done, you can, you can walk uh, as soon as they call wrap, and that's kind of nice. And as a DP, you have even more right. You can have your backpack on as they're calling wrap. <laughs> Jokes. Uh, but, uh, you know, as an AC, you know, you're there until the camera's packed up and, you know, everybody's walking home at that point. It's just something. I don't know. I've always been a techie person. I've, I've taken apart laptops and computer desktops and stuff like that just to figure out what makes it work, what makes it tinker. And the AC position tends to be that for me. Uh, if I wasn't an AC, I'd probably do be in some line of engineering field, I think, uh, putting stuff together and building things. So uh, AC gets me a lot of, of that, or I get to do the prep work, I get to build it, I get to technical, do the technical side of it, and then I get to pack it all up after a good day and send it home. So I am right there with you with the, I, you know, not the desire to necessarily DP or anything like that, but a joystick, you know, put, yeah, put a joystick. Like I loved, you know, joysticks for gimbals or doing camera work for drones and stuff. So I totally, totally understand that, but have no desire to, uh, to actually be an operator of any kind or, you know, in a DP and any of that. So I fully, 
I fully get that. And you have such a phenomenal technical side. Like your Instagram is an incredible resource for people to look at because you do amazing builds there and amazing stuff there. I can't wait to listen to your interview with Dennis um, because it's going to all be technical and it's going to be such a learning. I think I'm going to learn lots of things just because of how much good information is going to be shared there since you both are so technically minded. I'm pretty sure I'll learn a few things because it, you don't, I don't think I learn as much by doing. It's when I get asked about it that I actually learn from it more because when I'm doing it, I'm doing it to make it happen versus when I'm asked about it, I have to think about how I made it happen. And then that review, I think, makes you a stronger uh, technician versus just making it happen. Well, how'd you do it? I don't, I don't know. I just did it. <laughs> it's like, well, did you push the left button or did you push the right button? And you're just like, I pushed both. And you're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> but I mean, like, let's let's talk Teradex. Like, you know, Teradex, how, how, how'd you get it to sync up? And it's like, uh, I just touched it. You're like, I've been touching it for an hour. And it's like, I don't know, dude. Like, I just, maybe I'm electrical. Like, I don't know, I've had. <laughs> well, other than, you know, where can we where can we find you? Is there anything you, you want to promote? Um, I have a few movies. Um, it was called one, uh, one Called Frybread Face and Me um, that we shot in New Mexico. Uh, there's a Hallmark movie that just came out uh, called Every Time a Bell Rings. Um, I think they've shown it on uh, Hallmark Channel um, during Christmas. And then um, I did a Netflix series called, uh, well, I don't know, they haven't made a name for it yet, but at the time it was called Un Untitled Mo Amir Project. Uh, Mo Amir is a, a stand-up comedian, and this is his first uh, TV series, uh, all shot in Houston. So uh, looking forward to seeing that one where, you know, you don't, it's a lot of improv, most all of it's handheld, and most all of it's pretty wide open on the lens. So it was, it was real fun for me to play. <laughs> So I'm really, and it's all large format. So it's one of those where I'm anxious to see my work in a, you know, in a different aspect on, on streaming. <laughs> well, I'm excited. I'm excited to watch it. And other things like I have, you know, my, my little rental company, um, AQ Focus Solutions, where a lot of the focus uh, devices that people see are owned by that company or, you know, rented through that company. And uh, it allows me to test and use different types of systems and just to understand uh, wireless focus and those aspects better than if I was to have to go to a, uh, a rental house all the time and to like, all right, I need to test this today. I need to test this one aspect. And, you know, it's kind of kind of nice to have a place that you call home where you can do all the, the technical testing and what whatnots. Um, but yeah, everybody else knows me off on Instagram and that's the best place to find me. You're very, very active on your Instagram. And I really have always appreciated that because you answer lots of questions and you do your different, like, you know, you'll do questionnaires and things and yeah. So make sure if you're not already following Brian, you need to make sure you're following Brian because he is an incredible resource and wealth of knowledge. Well, Brian, thank you so much for taking your time to just uh out of your busy schedule to to chat with us and again i can't wait to see what you have to say on uh dennis's portion of this podcast yeah it'll look great thank you so much for having me thanks for listening to the focus pullers at work podcast if you liked what you heard please subscribe and check out our other amazing episodes also be on the lookout for the other part of this podcast where Dennis will interview Brian and they'll jump into the nitty gritty technical side of focus pulling. Thanks again.